0: All right, good morning, everyone. Hope everyone is doing very well this morning. We're going to go ahead and begin our class. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you for another chance to come together as your church. Thank you for the week after week after week consistency that it is and that it brings to our Christian walk to have one another and to be with one another in fellowship in the Lord, to be encouraged by your truth to be instructed and taught and challenged, uh, rebuked, reproved even, and we thank you that you show us what you expect from us and how we ought to live before you. We are so grateful that we don't serve you according to a mysterious search for a will that can't be found, but rather according to your divinely revealed truth. God, we thank you for the body of Christ uh, to which we belong if we are in Christ by faith, and we thank you for this time that we can come together. We pray that it would be edifying. We pray that it would be fruitful. We pray that it would be instructive for us. And we pray that it would be glorifying to you through your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, Second Timothy is where we are at. And we are arriving at the end of chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. If you would turn there with me. And then I will read verses 14 through 17. And then we will uh, look at that section this morning. 2 Timothy 3 verses 14 through 17. It says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work Uh, do any of you ever grow discouraged at what is going on in the uh, larger so named Christian world any discouragement that you ever see yeah what discourages you about uh, the state of visible Christianity? Yeah, Mark. So the lack of the true gospel of Christ. It's, you say it's not even watered down. It's what? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's like, it's not even diluted, right? It is just basically not even there. Just a nod to Jesus and a nod to the gospel. But yeah, not much else among the whole thing. Yeah, what else? What's, what's discouraging? Jessica. Yeah, so the lack of, yeah, lack of belief in the sufficiency of scripture for life and for ministry. Yeah, yeah, good. What else, Kyle? We're diverging. We've come to the point where we say that church down the road, is, I mean, it calls itself a Christian church, but they're not really believing in the gospel. Mm-hmm. They say the same thing about it. Yeah, diverging in a lack of, even lack of agreement about who is going wrong and who is doing what. Very basic things. Mm-hmm. About Very basic thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there is a desire Jesus has for his church to be unified. Um, the question is, of course, how you go about doing that. But, uh, but it is, it's, it's not pleasant to watch where people who name the name of Christ are not aligned. Um, there's something about that that is, it's not, that in and of itself is not intrinsically encouraging. Um, yeah, anyone else? Yeah, Jeffrey. Identifies with the world too much? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, tolerating certain sins or behaviors. Um, yeah, just trying to make the music sound just like everybody else or the, yeah, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. What else? I saw back there. Yeah, tolerance for sin, not treating sin as sin. Yeah, it's just, it's something else, making excuses for it or just overlooking it in the wrong kinds of ways, um, making excusing it. There, there is a way which, I, because I use the word overlook, I feel like I should qualify that. There is a biblical principle of overlooking a matter. It's the ability of someone to overlook an offense against them personally and not to retaliate, of course, is a biblical idea. However, overlooking sin as a church and simply saying that that the Bible calls sin is not sin, or we're not going to do anything about it, that's a different matter. And that's, I think that's what you're talking about. So that would be uh, not good. Yeah, there's uh there, there are a lot of things out there, right? There are a lot of reasons where you might look around and say, you know, what is really happening? Is the church actually being built? Is God at work? And uh, I think this passage is really helpful for us in that situation, because it deals with really that particular issue of When things around you are going crazy in the so-called religious or even Christian world, what are you supposed to do? And what are you supposed to find your hope in? Um, The first couple of chapters of 2 Timothy dealt more directly with what Timothy was supposed to do when there was active hostility against him. And when he was suffering for the gospel, when he is being persecuted or when there's pressure upon him or people are directly opposing him. And certainly that is there. But when we come to verse 14, we are coming out of a verse that says, verse 13, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's talking about fakes, imposters, people who claim to be godly claim to be religious according to the true message of the gospel and yet they're not verse 5 of chapter 3 talks about people who hold to a form of godliness although they have denied its power and he gives a contrast between such men and himself paul does by telling timothy in verses 10 and 11 that uh, about his life you followed my teaching conduct purpose faith patience love Perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. Uh, He says he endured all these persecutions. The Lord rescued him out of them all. And then in verse 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But while godly people are being persecuted, in the meantime, there will be a piling up of all of these other people who aren't necessarily being persecuted. And they aren't adhering to the actual truth of scripture. They're evil men and they are imposters. They, proceed, they will proceed from bad to worse, and they are going to not only deceive other people, but often they will be themselves deceived. Sometimes you ask that question to yourself, maybe, don't you? Uh, do these people know that they're deceiving others? Maybe, maybe not. Sometimes they themselves are completely self-deceived. Other times uh, they are in on, they are in on the, the whole scheme, and they deceive others knowingly for the sake of prestige or money or whatever it might be. Um, Regardless, this is what's going on. And so I kind of look around and say, Yeah, evil men and imposters continue to proceed from bad to worse false forms of christianity people who say that they're christians people who say that they're preachers of christ and preachers of the gospel who have no concern for godliness they have no concern for the church adhering to the truth of scripture no concern for the ministry to be done in any kind of way that is pleasing to god it's just what can be done the most successfully or what can be done the most comfortably or what can be done the way that i like it or the way that i want to add to my fame and my glory so what do we do do we throw in the towel do we say, well, I have to go change all of these things or else there's no point in what I'm doing? That's a little bit of what I might get discouraged by and think about is there are how many millions of people or even billions of people in the world following a false form of Christianity. Even just Roman Catholicism alone has many such people under its spell. Not to mention all the other aberrant forms of uh, Protestantism. What do we do? Get discouraged. Except there's an answer and there's a prescription. And this is what this passage tells us about. And it doesn't just tell us what to do. It tells us why we can do what we're doing with the hope that God is going to work through the means that he has given us to use when we are ministering in the church. He says in verse 14, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. You are supposed to continue in these things. There is, of course, a sharp contrast here between what they are doing. They will proceed from bad to worse. They're gonna go on down and down the line. You, though, Timothy, stay in what you're doing. Keep doing it. Many of you guys may have seen the, uh, the movie that came out a number of years ago, Finding Nemo. You know, I've, kids were that age when it came out or slightly after, and there's uh, one of the fish in there that, you know, it's, it's always the character that doesn't really know what they're doing that turns out to be the wise one at the end. Anyway, so the fish says, just keep swimming, right? Just keep swimming. And there's really no good reason for that. There's no good reason to keep swimming. It's just what you do. And all of a sudden at the end, you know, this is kind of what turns out to be this very sage advice. Well, this is the kind of stuff that um, sounds great in a movie, but it doesn't really necessarily work in practice. But people say this kind of thing in real life. They say, just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. And you say, Why? Why? Timothy is telling Paul to continue in the things that he's learned and become convinced of. But he gives him a lot of reasons. He doesn't say, hey, Timothy, you know, just keep plotting. Just keep doing the same thing. Just keep, you know, keep doing ministry the way that I've taught you. Because what else are you going to do? You know, or what's the point in stopping? Or because that fulfills you. Or that makes you satisfied. Or you've got to have some way to spend your life. He doesn't do that. He says, Timothy... There are reasons why the things that you have learned to become convinced of are the things that you should stay in. Even while the world grows worse and worse with regard to gospel perversions and false ministry, you, Timothy, need to stay in what you're doing because of all the things that are true, specifically about the content and the nature of what he's teaching. And this is where we get to the underpinnings of this whole passage, which is what Paul tells Timothy here about the word of God, about the scripture. This really is what it is. It's what this passage is about. And we've seen him uh, exalt the scriptures in many places already in this book. He refers to the, uh, the testimony of our Lord in verse eight. He talks about the treasure sound words in chapter 1 verse 13 and then the treasure which has been entrusted to you in verse 14 chapter 2 verse 2 he says the things which you have heard from me these are to be entrusted to others Uh, there are things here about the nature of the content and the substance of the ministry that Timothy is supposed to be carrying out but it has to do with the word of God this is everything and this is what Paul has been building up to he's been saying this is what we are all about Timothy, the whole point of what you're doing, even in all your suffering, and all your working, and all your laboring, and stirring up your gift, is to minister the word of God to people. That's what ministry is. That's what it's about. This is what the entire health and welfare of the, of the church and of the Christians that you are around depends upon. It depends upon you staying faithful to the scriptures and not moving from them, even while the world around you spirals away from that. People may say, yeah, we're doing Christian ministry, but yeah, we're an evil man, an imposter. We're deceiving people. We're moving from bad to worse. This is not anything new when you look around and see it today. But the cure is not to despair, and it's not to change up everything you're doing just to go and to try to rectify every single one of those things, although efforts should be made as we can. But it is to stay right in the middle of what God has said to do, which is to adhere to the scriptures to continue in them. And those scriptures have a number of things about them which compel Timothy to follow them, which commend them to him. And I want to go through those, these uh, features of the word of God, five of them, in fact, that show why Timothy should continue to both hold fast to it himself and to teach it faithfully to other people. Uh, So five features of God's word that show why Timothy should continue to hold fast to it and then to teach it, faithfully to others. Uh, the first of these just comes off of what we said in verse 13 or what Paul said in verse 13, which is that it protects us from false teaching. It protects us from false teaching. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but there is a contrast. How do we keep people from being deceived? How do we keep ourselves from being deceived? How do we avoid being those who go down this path or who are, uh, who are captured by them? Well, Make sure that you continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of. Uh, in First Timothy chapter 4, I want you to look there for a second just to see how this works as well. Uh, he says in verse 1, in 1 Timothy 4, just flip back a few pages, that the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. They're going to listen to error that comes from people Who are teaching them things that are wrong and uh, Timothy is told what to do about this he's given detailed instructions in verses 6 through 16 that are summarized in verse 16 where it says pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching to your life and to your doctrine make sure your character is in line with God's word make sure that your instruction is in line with God's word And he says, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will, and it says, ensure salvation. Uh, Literally, the idea is that you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Not that you will redeem them, but that you will save them from the context of the chapter, verse 1, which is from deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, from falling away from the faith. It's Timothy's strict adherence to godliness and to the truths of God as revealed through Paul and others. That will protect the people that he is serving. This truth protects people from error. And of course, I think it also just goes without saying. If you know the truth, that's what's going to enable you to see and to spot false teaching. Error. And it doesn't just, uh, doesn't just help us to identify those things which are obvious. Many times things that oppose the gospel are obvious. But many times they're not. Because they parade as godliness. They parade as, well, this is compatible with Christianity. want to ask you what some of those things are that you've seen where have you seen things that don't explicitly state themselves to be anti-christian and yet nonetheless they undermine Mm -hmm. gospel faith and godliness can you think of anything give you a minute to to think of that yes cindy and steven Uh, Hmm. Hmm. So name it and claim it. Yeah, You, if you just tell God this or pray enough or if you just really are the one who has the faith then you'll get this answer to the prayer that you're, that you're looking for. Yeah, and of course, what's the problematic outcome of that? Well, God's character is maligned, first of all, even just in thinking that you could do that to him. Um, it misinterprets various passages of Scripture but also, what happens to your faith when you do name it and you don't get it? And it brings God's faithfulness and God's kindness into question when you have a wrong view and a wrong expectation of what he's going to do for you and then it doesn't actually turn out that way so yeah but that's all that's kind of pulling things from certain biblical passages it parades as biblical and yet it's not Stephen what'd you uh Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned the SBC statement on, uh, or resolution or whatever it might be on critical race theory and intersectionality. Yeah, and that's those kinds of things are like the, they're like the Trojan horse that the whole thing comes in, and a lot of times um, maybe well-meaning and uh, undiscerning uh, believers will see, yeah, as you said, there's a problem here, or there's, or there's a biblical principle here, and then someone claims that this idea matches with that biblical principle. So they're like, oh, this is great. Yeah, we're in favor of this, but they don't understand all that's behind that, and they just see maybe one little thing about it, and people use that to deceive and to get the whole, uh, the whole package, which includes a lot of unbiblical ideas uh, taught and affirmed by, uh, by believers and by the church. Get yeah, this. yeah yeah humanistic kind of approaches to this and uh, and yeah uh, trying to the academic respectability is such a big thing it's a constant draw for um, for theological studies uh, you're trying to make sure that you can keep up you know the the whole the whole system in fact I, I wouldn't say that it's problematic, but um, in many ways when when people are pursuing advanced studies and then even doing um, doctoral work in particular, and they have to come up with something new for their dissertation, well, I mean if if you know theology, you understand that novelty can be very dangerous because uh, if you're coming up with something that nobody has ever thought about before then that's going to be, that's, that's pretty uh, dangerous territory to walk out into. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't find a particular nuance or, or comprehensively address something that hasn't been done before, um, but the quest for novelty and finding things like that, and the quest for academic respectability because you don't want to be seen as like these Bible-believing simpletons. Uh, you want to be seen as someone who's respectable and someone who is thoughtful and someone who is sophisticated. So those kinds of things open up uh, they open up doors to going places that Scripture doesn't have, to undermining the uh, the nature of Scripture. And those things then leak over time into the church because the people who are studying those things then become the teachers of those things. The people who teach those things start teaching in seminaries and they train pastors. And then those people start preaching that in the church. And so over the next 80 years, it starts to filter and filter and filter all the way on down, which really was exactly what happened uh, from the mid-1800s or so on to the mid-1900s in almost every mainline denomination in the United States, where the fruit of German so-called scholarship, uh, biblical scholarship, that bought hook, line, and sinker into everything that was being taught according to, the, uh, according to uh, wrong theories about the Old Testament became what was taught in seminaries and then what was taught and believed by pastors and then it was taught to uh, to churches all over the place and before people knew what had happened whole denominations had turned unfaithful. So these are the kinds of things that can, can happen. Yeah, anything else? Patrick? Just how much of a one person to another is actually Yeah, in the interest of ministering to people personally, we compromise God's word. We want to encourage them. We have different goals than what God often does. Or maybe we have the same goal, but we don't trust God's means to actually get there. Yeah, I saw other hands, I think, somewhere. Yeah, Hannah. yeah so legalism is huge and it's even trickier when it comes from the Bible in particular this was why this is why this was such a challenge for the um the churches in the New Testament era because you had people saying there are certain things you have to do as Gentile Christians, and these come from the Bible like these are God's word you have so you have to keep them and we struggle with those kinds of things today sorting that out don't we how do we how do we use the Old Testament and there are ways uh there there are ways that I think are very clear in scripture about how to do that but it's not always obvious by just looking at one individual verse which commands god's people to do this thing and then saying what do we do with this so yeah that can be a very challenging thing in really in all ages uh for christians to sort out yeah anything else yeah matt Yeah, definitely yep again taking this idea of like certain passages about reaping what you sow and uh and overflowing and saying well that means you should give money to me and you'll get this back and then preying upon people who are vulnerable like second Timothy 3 talks about um these men who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins so they're dealing with things in their conscience and someone comes in and takes advantage of that yeah um <clears throat> So there are all kinds of things, but the Word of God is what protects us from those things. There is a contrast there uh, between those who are deceived and those who follow according to the truth of what Timothy has received. Um, let me give you another another feature of the Word of God, which is displayed in this passage, which is that Scripture can be learned by all. Uh, scripture can be learned by all. So... Uh, It says, continuing the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Uh, The sacred writings, of course, refer to the, in this case, the, uh, well, in general, something that is just written uh, is the idea of writings. And then sacred, of course, would refer to the fact that these are holy. Um, This combination was used by Greek-speaking Jews, these two Greek words, to refer to the Old Testament, So this became kind of the technical term for the Old Testament, the same way we would say Holy Bible, uh, this idea of sacred writings could be used in that way. Um, Timothy has known them from childhood. He has learned them from somewhere. Where has Timothy learned the things that he knows from? Does anyone know? Yeah, chapter one says, uh, your grandmother Lois, verse five, and your mother Eunice, that was his foundation. And then, of course, he learned these things from Paul as well, and perhaps other people who taught him as a Christian. He learned, uh, he learned the, the, the New Testament revelation. So when he says the things you've learned and become convinced of, um, he, he's referring to everything overall, but he mentions specifically the scriptures because he wants to focus on the nature of that and on the nature of the Bible. So he says, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings. And the word here of childhood means like from the time that you were a little kid. A little kid. Um, and sometimes people talk about the Bible and they want to talk about it like it's this book that somehow is just incapable of understanding by anyone uh, outside of advanced scholars. Uh, And some of those advanced scholars would like very much for you to think that about that. So that they're the only ones who have the right answers to those things. But the Bible can be understood. Now, to be sure, there are things that are harder to understand in some places than others. Paul refers to this, uh, Peter refers to this actually in 2 Peter 3.16. Referring to Paul's letters. And he actually does so in that passage by referring to Paul's letters as among the scriptures. I'm going to read that for you. Uh, Because... He says there are some things that Paul wrote that are harder to understand. He says Second uh, Peter three, fifteen, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which some things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. What is that saying? He doesn't draw a line between Paul's writings and the scriptures. He draws a line between Paul's writing and the rest of the scriptures, which means that he views Paul's writings as among the scriptures, which makes sense because Paul had received divine revelation as an apostle on the same level as Old Testament prophecy, the same level of authority, which is perfect revelation from God. Um, It is interesting that he says, some things are hard to understand, but what really is the cause of people having such a hard time with it and not being able to understand and getting wrong? He says the untaught and unstable distort them. I just find that so interesting that it's, not that it's not just that they're hard to understand. You can work at things that are hard to understand, but when you don't come to the proper conclusion from them... It's not because they were too difficult to understand. It's because the untaught and the unstable distort them. So even things that are harder to understand really only end up in the wrong place um, in the absence of hard work to get them right or if you just don't want them uh, to be saying what they actually say. This is, to me, where so much of Scripture uh, being used deceitfully comes from. It's either people who don't know what they're doing and should not be teaching at all, which Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 1. They don't know what they're talking about. He says it in, uh, in, in these terms, actually. Let me read it to you. He says, uh, um, sorry, let me make sure and get there. He says, uh, there are people who they're wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. So you have people who don't know what they're talking about and shouldn't be teaching or you have people who are just intentionally twisting the scriptures to make them say what they want to say. You say, that sounds like, can I really say that anyone would do that? Well, God says that people would do that. So we have to be okay with saying that people would do that. We don't always have a a perfect record or ability to assign motives or reasons why someone gets something wrong to any individual person. But on the whole, we can say that these are the reasons scripture lays out why people get these things wrong. Either they have not taught properly and haven't studied properly and haven't been diligent as Timothy was told to be in 2 Timothy 2.15 or they just don't want to get it right. They want it to say something else and they want you to think it's saying something else because there's a benefit to them if that's the case. So whichever one it is, we need to make sure that that's not us. Scripture can be understood. It is understandable. It takes work. Timothy himself is told that he has to be diligent to get it right. Here's a guy who was with Paul for 20 years and he still has to be told work hard to understand the scriptures correctly but never does Paul think that scripture being difficult to understand in some places or requiring hard work means that it's not able to be understood don't fall for the deception that people will have and it will try to put across to you to say this is difficult to understand and so how can we say that it's clear well scripture teaches both principles that you have to work hard and that it can be understood rightly both things can be true at the same time. Don't fall for oversimplistic explanations or statements about this that say that you have to have one or the other. Easy either it's got to come to you right away on the surface with no difficulty or you can't understand it. Don't buy that. That's not what the scripture lays out and it's not true. So, Uh, the scripture can be learned by all. He has known them from childhood. Of course, this means that you should be learning the scriptures at every age, and you should be teaching the scriptures to children, to people at every age. And this is a a marvelous benefit. You can see that Timothy had good role models in this. He, He points to the people that he learned them from as reason to continue to pursue these things. And not only that, but Um, we find their faithful example of actually doing this. So we should follow their example in this as well because of the nature of the scriptures. Now, this doesn't mean that a two-year-old will be able to understand some of the theological ramifications of some of the more dense passages of scripture. It just simply means go ahead and start it. Go ahead and start. Don't wait. Go ahead and start. All right, third feature of the word of God. It gives the wisdom that leads to saving faith. It gives the wisdom that leads to saving faith. And this is in particular about the Old Testament, uh, the sacred writings, verse 15, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament makes you wise. It says so in a number of places. But there is a particular kind of wisdom that is most valuable, which is giving you the capacity and the framework and the, the sort of vision to be able, when you see the gospel and when you hear it, to actually respond in the way that you're supposed to, which is by faith. It gives the wisdom that leads to saving faith. So he says, it is able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Um, That phrase, salvation which is in Christ Jesus, I just want to point, uh, point to three particular points about this. First of all, you need this salvation. Many of you who are here have this salvation, but this is the salvation from sins that we all need. We need to have our sins forgiven. You must have your sins forgiven. We all stand before God guilty from our birth. We do things that, re- that rebel against God. We go our own way, and unless God changes our hearts, we will continue to do that. And because we sin against God in various ways, we rack up a debt of sin, of guilt before God. And God is holy and perfect, and we're not, so we owe him paying a penalty for that. And we can't pay that other than the justice that God gives us in the final judgment. And yet Christ came into the world to die as a substitute for our sins. And this salvation provides a way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to have eternal life. We need it. You need it. I need it. We all need it. And we only uh, can stop from doing anything else if we have come to the faith that results in this salvation. Um, the, other, uh, the second thing to note, of course, is that this salvation comes only in Christ Jesus It is only in Him, salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It is directed at Him. Uh, It's a very, uh, it is a very specific kind of salvation. It is only in Him because He is the only perfect substitute as a sacrifice. He is the only God-man. He is the only mediator between God and men. As Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the man Christ Jesus, there's only one. So there's one Savior and it is Christ. And then this points to us, uh, points out to us the fact as well that salvation is through faith and not by any other means. It is not by works, it's not by merit of any kind, it's not by self-improvement, but salvation is through faith targeted at Jesus Christ. Faith which is in him, upon him, faith which is toward him, which means we believe what he says, we believe what he did, we trust in his sufficiency, and we trust in him and his ability to save us. So salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, and the scriptures give us the wisdom to do that. You say, well, what's the point in teaching people the Bible and teaching kids the Bible and teaching them to obey the Bible, even if they're not yet Christians? Well, there's a whole lot of point to it. Not least of which is this, that knowing the Old Testament rightly and really knowing the New Testament now that we have it enables a person when they encounter the gospel of Christ to respond in the way that they should. So it gives the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Number four fourth principle of scripture about scripture here the fourth feature is it is inspired by god and is completely perfect it is inspired by god and completely perfect uh, it says all scripture is inspired by god what does that mean does anyone have another version that says something different than that see breathed out. Breath out okay breathed out yeah anything else what's that God breathed okay yeah God breathed yeah I like the uh, rendering breathed out is that ESV says that yeah yeah breathed out is good Um, God breathed is good but it can kind of sound like maybe God's breathing it in not that that's the case but breathed out does express that idea that this is what's coming out of God's uh, figurative mouth it's coming from him These are the words that come from him. So inspiration doesn't mean God, you know, got really excited or somebody got really excited and decided to do this. All scripture is inspired by God, meaning that it comes out of him. These are his words. What is on the page that you have are the words that came from the mouth of the Lord. And that is true about all scripture. Uh, I want to consider a few things about inspiration First of all, how did it happen? What's the process? Second uh, Peter chapter one gives us a very good summary of this. Second Peter one, uh, verse twenty and twenty-one. Second Peter one, verse twenty and twenty-one. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation; for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. When you hear that it's not a matter of one's own interpretation, what does that sound like? Not one's own interpretation. It's not subjective, okay, yep, not subjective. That makes me think directly of Joseph Smith. Of Joseph Smith, mm-hmm. Yeah. hmm You have someone come and say, hey, this is what, I'm not going to tell you what I exactly heard from God, but this is what it means. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, this is my private thing. No witnesses, no nothing else, anything like that. It's just, yeah, it's just me. Um, yeah, and, and there are, those those two things actually are, like those are other ways which this plays out as far as the ramifications of it. But um, I, I think the probably when we look at this, we say it's not a matter of one's own interpretation. Sometimes this has been used to say, well, you don't get to interpret the scripture yourself. You know, you don't get to do that on your own. Um, or it's really talking about, um, the, way that, the way that people sometimes come to this passage, they'll say, here's the scripture existing. Now, it's not really up to you to interpret that. Or it's not about how you interpret this existing scripture. But it's actually not quite that way. It's in line with what you guys are saying, which is, it's, um, he's saying prophecy is not a result of people interpreting things themselves and writing it down. Prophecy is the result of God's interpretation Of how things are. This is not man's ideas. Though as we clearly understand from scripture. It does involve man's observations. And it's not apart from the will of the human author. But it is sourced and originated from God. And ultimately the control upon this is God. His decision to reveal something. His interpretation of the situation. And his ability that's behind that. His character, which is behind that, his truthfulness, his, uh, his, his knowledge, his inability to get everything anything wrong. So no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's open t- own interpretation. He's not saying you don't get to interpret that whatever way you want once it's already revealed. He's saying the reason why these prophecies were made is not because someone made them up. Like what you guys are mentioning. This is because the reason that exists is because men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So God decided that he wanted scripture to be written. He decided that he wanted his word to come. And to whatever degree humans were involved in researching that, in arranging that, in writing that down, all of that was ultimately because God moved to make this happen. And the Holy Spirit so superintended this process, men moved by the Holy Spirit, uh, that it all resulted in exactly what God wanted written down on the page. It all resulted in what he wanted spoken, those times when this prophecy was verbal and anytime that that prophecy ended up written down it was because God wanted it to be there so this is uh this is how inspiration happened sometimes it's by dictation sometimes it's providentially um and everything in between but the point is God gets on the pages of scripture what he wants it to say yeah question is here being used, like, more for all it is yeah Yeah, that's a great, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because yes, so prophecy, um, I, I, should, I should be clear about that. This is not just about foretelling future events. Prophecy here um, refers to, I mean, I think directly there is a, uh, a prophecy that he's talking about the prophecy of the future in Second Peter about the, the coming of our Lord Jesus and the coming kingdom of God. But he does broaden out the language of prophecy to refer here more broadly to just God's word being spoken in general, like God's word being revealed. So prophecy would would involve, um, prophecy can involve telling the future. It it also involves God um, kind of at a more basic level. There's a revelatory aspect of prophecy where um, a prophet prophesies by speaking things that otherwise would not have been known if God had not revealed them. And then sometimes someone will prophesy by taking what has already been revealed on those pages of Scripture and continuing to speak just those words. Um, I would not go so far as to say that we should... I think we should be really careful at least about using the word prophesying to refer to preaching or teaching. I kind of get queasy about that because it seems to me to dampen the office of prophet and to, uh, to sort of downplay what the significance of what was going on there when truth is being revealed and being spoken directly from God. Um, But really, it's it's that range. God reveals truth, and then it's spoken to other people, and sometimes it's about a specific thing that will happen in the future. So that's here. Both kind of things are going on, um, both the bigger picture and the subset in Peter's context is involved as well. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah, Steven. Yeah. Preservation, Um, yeah, I would say that preservation is, so my view of preservation is that it's providential and that there is not a promise per se from God that God's word will always be available to people in all places or things like that. I think there have been times, frankly, in scripture where no one knew where the word of God even was, like there was, it was, it was lost in the temple for 50 years and nobody even knew what it said. Um, So, which resulted in people disobeying it and, and uh, bringing judgment upon themselves. Uh, so I don't think there is a promise in Scripture of any extent of, of, of availability in that sense. I do think there is an implicit um, promise of preservation in Scripture in that if God's word can't pass away and everything has to come to pass, um, then it's going to be really hard for that to be the case if it just the record of it is completely gone. So I do think that there is, there is an implicit promise of preservation that, uh, that Scripture will be around somewhere in some way, even if maybe certain people don't have access to that or if it's, or if it's lost for a while. Now, I think we've probably, I mean, hopefully we've passed the point where that, <laughs> because Scripture is so widespread now and, and it's, it would be really hard to get that toothpaste back in the tube, right? You just, it's all, so many people have it, digital hard copy. Um, it would be really difficult to kind of shut that down on a worldwide level. But I don't know that God necessarily promises that there won't be a time when no one will really know and be aware of it at that moment. Um, but again, I think it's basically infinitesimal odds that that would happen. But but I still think it's not necessarily promised as such. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's No, no. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm realizing here, by the way, we're going to have to turn this into two parts um, because we've got to talk about what Scripture does when we get to verses 16 and 17 and its uh, sufficiency in particular, as Jessica mentioned earlier. Um, Let me, let's, so the process of inspiration, um, we can talk more about that if you have questions about that, or um, I I do want to mention the extent of it as well and and how this passage uh, speaks to that. But, yeah, any other questions at the moment on the process? yeah we stand as as people have often said on the shoulders of giants or of others or of you know of of our predecessors uh we benefit quite a bit from the work that other people have done and hopefully the things that uh christians today learn and discover and write about as far as just understanding scripture more and more detailed i mean i i i I think that there are i don't uh, diminishing returns is the wrong phrase to use but something akin to that where Hopefully, the big issues uh, have been somewhat sorted out you know in terms of within the Reformation, like early early church understanding of what who is God and what is uh, and who is Christ and what is the nature of Christ, um, and then maybe some things that were not as explicitly spelled out as they uh, as they could have been because the situation didn 't necessarily arise, which had to be more uh, more extensively fought for at the time of uh, Protestant Reformation and so on so but the, the point is that um, hopefully the things that we are having to to learn anew are uh, less and less ultimately um, significant in the sense of being the big issues of are we Christians or not? Or uh, what is the way of salvation? But nonetheless, I think the work should continue to, we should always strive to know more and more about what scripture says. Um, I will say that there were some, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like I go back and I read somebody like, Read Calvin's commentaries and from, from the 1500s, and you're like, Man, this guy, this is, he did this all. Like, where was to think about what came before him and to think about how clearly so many things from Scripture are understood? Um, I think even different people during the Reformation, like maybe Martin Luther, got hung up on certain things. And that's the reason why he just couldn't get past and couldn't grasp what another passage says, because he was unable to reconcile those according to maybe having a little bit of a a view that went too uh too strongly one way in another text but i think that it uh it was pretty quick that people were grasping a lot uh, a lot of what scripture said once it once the the printing press um enabled the word of god to spread a lot more widely and other historical factors so yeah um i i think i feel like i'm rambling a little bit based off of what you said but yeah yeah no it's okay yeah dennis Mm-hmm. yeah 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 The just because we don't read all the writings or or well maybe non-existent writings but we don't just because we don't read things from gospel believing people during say you know uh much of uh much of the previous couple of centuries, or previous couple of millennia, doesn't mean that they weren't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people, there were faithful people. Mm-hmm. But, but also, if you read like Augustine or Aquinas,
1: there was a lot that they didn't understand. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah and we so we start with do we who is God and what what is our responsibility before him and what is who is Christ and what has he done yes. and yeah we go from there now we get that from scripture and so that's why it's so important to understand what scripture is and the nature of this as authoritative and inerrant um but then we then we go on from there but of course as he says I mean there are going to be things where because we don't believe the gospel we want to take advantage of the fact that we do have all scripture and we know all of these things, and we need to build upon them. So, yeah, someone can be saved by understanding a very small portion of Scripture. Um, we would not want to stay there. You know, we would, we would want to strive to move forward, and God has given us the Scripture so that we would do that. And just the fact that people were had that hidden from them, for uh, the fact that this is not so widely proclaimed um, by anyone naming the name of Christ, uh, in many cases, in many places, for a long time is, is uh, really beyond unfortunate. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, I mean the reason why people believe the gospel is because the Spirit of God it gives them the willingness. There's sort of a moral um, ability to understand. Second, First Corinthians two says that uh, that it is there. There are spiritual things which are understood by those who are spiritual. So we have the Holy Spirit as Christians. we able to then understand. We're able to understand the truth of God. Of course, um, this. It is the spirit of God that um, causes us to be born again and to respond by faith to the gospel in the first place. So we are receptive to the things of God because God has given us a new nature and because he opens our heart to believe those things. So that's gonna be a vital component of this as well, of course, in recognizing that. And that's why at the end of the day, the reason why we believe scripture to be what it is is because God has convinced us of this. There are a lot of arguments that go around it and um, we could talk about all of those reasons, but at the end of the day, God persuades Christians to listen to his word and as jesus said in john 10 my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me why because we just are drawn to him because we recognize his voice um okay so we're going to uh next time we'll talk about the uh extent of inspiration and the results of inspiration and then uh the the usefulness of scripture for ministry and just how valuable that is so i hope you uh hope you can be back here for that um also two weeks from now we're going to have our members meeting during this time during the sunday school hour so if you're accustomed to coming um that we do just ask all members and only members to come to that time so that will be two weeks from now um if you haven't taken membership class would encourage you to do that because that would be a great way to get to know the church and then to start that process should you decide to go forward with membership Uh, let me pray for us god thank you for your word and thank you that you have revealed it to us thank you for your kindness And thank you for directing us into all truth. We pray that you would use this time to help us to be more and more confident in what you've given us in your word so that we can serve you and minister faithfully despite anything that's going on around us. And we pray that we would do that to our fullest extent by your your grace, in Jesus' name, amen.